Hello and welcome to the MBA Talk podcast. I'm your host Andres and I work for OPNES, an institute that fosters social and economic development through the promotion of the best management methodologies. How do you define entrepreneurship? In this episode, we are joined by Eddie Zakes. Eddie is an ESE MBA graduate 2017 and is currently working at ESE as the director of the Entrepreneurship and Innovation Center. So we discuss how you can be part of the startup or entrepreneurship ecosystem without necessarily starting your own company. When is the best time for an MBA to start a company and the advantages of doing it after having some experience in the corporate world. Without, let's bring on Eddie. So, Eddie, I know, I know you are in Barcelona, but where are you from and how do you present yourself today? So, I'm Eddie Zakes. I'm the director of the Entrepreneurship and Innovation Center at IESE Business School. As you know, uh, in Spanish, it's pronounced ESA Business School. Uh, and this is always a point of you know discussion around the world because everybody says, what is ESA Business School? I-E-S-E, E-S-A, they're the same place. And you could use either one and we'll know what you're talking about. So uh, I serve as the director of the Entrepreneurship and Innovation Center here. I'm from the United States. Uh, I came to ESA to do my MBA. I was a slightly unique MBA student in that I came with my wife and two children. And so it was a, a major commitment. I was a little bit older uh, or more experienced MBA student. Uh, and so I sold my house in the United States. I sold my cars. I sold my furniture and basically moved with everything that I had left to Spain to pursue my MBA. And I have uh, essentially worked here more or less ever since graduation. Uh, I was offered this role uh, shortly after graduation. And I can talk about that if you want me to and talk a little bit about my entrepreneurial journey and what I've done, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, sure. But uh, before, <laughs> why you sold everything? You, you were committed to move to Europe, definitely. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I think that there's a couple, there's a couple of reasons for this. I think um, in, in, here in Spain, there is a, a, a famous, let's say, uh, historical figure, Hernán Cortés. And when he went to Mexico, he famously burned the ships. He was an explorer from, I, I don't know when, the 1400s or something like this. And I think as a family, we wanted to give ourselves the maximum flexibility so that we could pursue job opportunities anywhere in the world and be incredibly opportunistic. And we felt like if we had a home in the United States or we had uh, this thing to go back to, uh, we would always feel some sort of obligation or sense of uh, commitment there. And I think leaving your home for two years in the United States, what was what was I going to do, rent it out to someone else or store my cars in storage for two years or something like this? It just made more sense for our family to just sell it and be completely free. And we actually moved to Spain with each of us using just our luggage allowance. So I think we were each allowed two bags plus a carry-on. And that's literally what we came here with was a, a bunch of suitcases. And that was more or less, I mean, of course, we do have some, some you know, family keepsake items that are stored in the United States, but there isn't too much. I think everything that we have would fit in the back of one, one four-door car or something like that, or the trunk or something. It's not too much stuff that we even have left in the United States. That's, that sounds very reasonable. And, uh, but, uh, okay, but you had any kind of idea of becoming an entrepreneur while, before starting your MBA? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that 
yes, I was a slightly unique profile for an MBA when I came to the school. So I had kind of two pillars of background. One was that I had a lot of experience in the education sector. I had served as the vice president of a large private school in Ohio, a school that at one point had about 3,000 students and was operating seven campuses. And when I left that school, I was the vice president of advancement, uh, managing the school's PR, marketing, communications, fundraising, alumni relations, and admissions. So I was running six divisions of that school with a team of people and all the rest. And of course, uh, yes, I saw this profile and you know, those are all, let's say, job functions that exist in almost any school, whether it's a, a kindergarten through 12th grade school in the United States or a business school or a college or university. And so uh, I had this, this unique background that perhaps put me on their radar first. And then second, as far as entrepreneurship, while I was helping to run that school, I also uh, had co-founded a small business in the construction industry that is, while certainly not a huge, wild, runaway success or anything like that, it's a nice small business success story uh, that today I still have an ownership stake in and a board seat in. And so I came to ESA actually wanting to move away from the education industry, get out of education and focus more on entrepreneurship. And most specifically, I really fell in love with the area of early stage investing in venture capital, angel investing, accelerators and incubators and this sort of uh, enablement category of entrepreneurship, people that were helping entrepreneurs be successful and identifying and maximizing the potential of entrepreneurs. And so I, I focused on that quite a bit. Uh, for people who aren't familiar, ESA is a business school that, uh, as of right now, does not offer complete specialization. Some business schools have a degree in, uh, you get an MBA with a specialization in finance or marketing or, or some other topic. And for us, what we do is in the first year, you have a lockstep cohort. Every student is taking the same courses. In the second year, you choose the electives that you want and you essentially design the specialization that you want. And so I focus very, very heavily on entrepreneurship. Uh, as many of the classes as I could take on entrepreneurship, I took and did an internship with a venture capital fund here in Spain. And it was a very positive experience. I helped to source a Series A investment that the company actually invested in. And so I thought that there was a fair chance I was going to stay in venture capital. But ESA saw my profile in education and combined that with my experience in venture capital and uh, other types. I've done some an entrepreneur in residence with one of Spain's better uh, accelerators and you know, kind of combining my own entrepreneurial experience plus this early stage investing experience. What I do today is education management of the entrepreneurial and founding uh, kind of category plus early stage investing. And this is what I do, you know, as the director of the Entrepreneurship and Innovation Center. So it's quite a unique match made in heaven, let's say. Uh, and I have a pretty incredible job. Yeah, yeah. That sounds very interesting because you are in the startup scene. You are uh, like among a lot of entrepreneurs and MBAs, but you are not, uh, I mean, you are not running your company. So you can relate to many entrepreneurs. I mean, I, I suppose your network is huge and uh, you know a lot of interesting stories. I do know some interesting stories, of course. Yes, it is a it is a kind of a unique spot to be in. So today, essentially, I do my best to coordinate the entrepreneurial network platform and resources of IESE for entrepreneurs, innovators, and their enablers. 
around the world. So ESA has around 48,000 alumni around the world and has, this is our 60th anniversary as a school and we operate five campuses, Barcelona, Madrid, Munich, New York, and Sao Paulo. And then I think we have 16, 17, somewhere in that range, uh, sister schools around the world that we've actually, in some cases, helped to start. And so ESA entrepreneurship is is broad and it's, it's a fantastic and very inspirational uh, seat that I sit in to be able to interact with all of these great people. Cool, cool. How you ended up in venture capital? Yeah, so I, I, I was very passionate about it. So in terms of how I actually, you know, secured my internship in venture capital, a lot of people are very interested in working in venture capital. It's a very cool, unique, inspirational place to work. They think that, you know, there's a very unique power dynamic that venture capitalists have. They get to see new and exciting things and help to design and select the future that they want to live in. But did you have any experience before uh, MBA school? No, not at all. No. So for me, I, the company that I built in the United States was completely bootstrapped. So it, it actually took no outside capital at all. So I, you know, I, when I arrived to the MBA program, I knew what venture capital was, but I don't know that I could have gone into a whole lot of detail. And what really turned me on to the, the area of venture capital, the industry of venture capital, was the venture capital investment competition. And for you know people who aren't familiar with the venture capital investment competition, essentially it's a simulated venture capital investment where students are uh, essentially pretending or acting as if they are venture capitalists and they are reviewing typically three real startups that are in the fundraising process right now, reviewing their pitches and their investment opportunity and uh, selecting one of them to make an investment in. And their entire performance is being evaluated by actual VC, uh, typically partners or more senior within the firms that the judges are representing. And ESA has historically performed very, very well in this competition. And, you know, one of my classmates when I was a student invited me to join his team. And I thought, you know, this is really interesting. I'll give this a try. And turned out to be something that I was fairly good at and that I really, really enjoyed. And the competition, the way that ESA structures it, this is a competition that uh, is a global competition. I would guess maybe 60 to 80 different business schools around the world participate in this competition in some way over the years. And so, you know, at ESA, the year that I participated in it, I believe that it was the single biggest student competition that year. And ultimately, through uh, maybe four or five or, or so rounds of this competition, I ended up uh, being selected out of about 160 students that were interested in the competition to represent ESA on a five-person team that won a European championship and then traveled to the United States to represent Europe in the global championship. And through this experience, I really developed a unique knowledge and also, I think, very, very importantly, a unique network in the venture capital space. And I was able to convert that knowledge and network into the job opportunity. So using the competition and the network and the knowledge that that gave me, I essentially was able to go back to all of the judges who had evaluated me in this competition and who had consistently said that, you know, I had the knowledge and skills to proceed in the competition uh, to offer me a job. And so I, I went back to each of them and said, you know, you have seen me perform in this this multi-day competition. You've seen me go through four or five or six legs of this competition 
around different places in Europe, in Barcelona and Copenhagen, the United States and elsewhere. So you know what my skills are. Now, would you consider giving me the chance to to work with you? Uh, and a firm in Madrid that's called JME Venture Capital offered me an opportunity to work there for the summer. Uh, and it turned out to be, uh, you know, a, a really fantastic learning experience as well as, you know, a, a personal development experience for me. Cool. Very interesting. And uh, who was your uh, the classmate that brought you in? Yeah. So this was a, one of my classmates. His name was Shinichi Okabe. And Shinichi was an incredible, incredibly gifted student uh, who was one of two students in the world to get a full ride scholarship from Toyota Motor Corporation. And, you know, Shinichi essentially could have had his pick of any school in the world and uh, turned down Harvard to come to ESA. And he said, you know, he, he also, while he knew that there was a fair chance he was going to be going back to Toyota and he's at Toyota now, he wanted to try as many different things as he could while he was a student. And so he, he wanted to try the venture capital route and so encouraged me to try it with him. Cool. Okay. So, um, so do you see any other jobs that are related to entrepreneurs, like uh, uh, your current job as a director of innovation there at ESA, working in venture capital? Are there any other types of opportunities for people that want to be in the startup scene without being a founder, for example? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So I think that, um, the area of entrepreneurship is as hot as can be. I mean, obviously, you know, students have all, have always considered startups to be an option, whether founding one or joining one. But I think today, the some of the uh, emotional interest, the the coolness factor of joining a really hot startup is sky high, and and students are are definitely interested in it. So, you know, one one path is to found your own company. Uh, for others, it's joining a startup. And so, you know, we at ESA, we host a startup career fair. So we, of course, have our normal corporate career fairs where, you know, you have your investment banks and consulting firms and heavy industry and oil and gas and all of your kind of normal uh, characters and companies come. And then we also host a startup career fair where, you know, we have a nice batch of startups that have raised enough money to let's say de-risk or, or at a stage where they you know that they have some stability and they can pay an MBA a, a, at least an acceptable post-MBA salary or offer a really meaningful internship project opportunity or an interesting role for a student. And we host uh, this career fair to do this matchmaking. ESA itself has you know uh, alumni founders of incredible companies many of whom have hired, you know, ESA alumni. And so we, we're always about connecting them. I think it's important for students to recognize that there's a, a pretty significant difference between joining a very early stage project and a later stage project. And so I work with the Career Development Center here at ESA to help coach students on understanding the difference uh, in terms of the opportunity, the risk, uh, the income or compensation streams the ability to do a career transition. I think all of these things have variances depending on whether it's an earlier or later stage startup. And so I think that also, as far as a career target, is an important consideration. Mm -hmm. I think 
We also, you know, ESA has a fantastic reputation in the search fund space. And so search funds themselves are uh, entrepreneurial career path that falls outside of founding your own startup. Uh, I think additionally, you have, you know, I think sometimes entrepreneurship is quickly defined as, as startups, technology startups, especially. Right. And I think this is, while this is definitely what gets the most attention, it isn't the, you know, end all of the list. And so we, you know, there are founders of companies that, you know, the company that I, I founded in the United States that I would, you know, say certainly is not going to make me famous or anything like that, uh, is a nice entrepreneurial experience that, uh, is able to pay the wages of a, a nice handful of employees it, but at the same time, it's it, I wouldn't I wouldn't even classify it as a startup. I would say that I founded a small business and uh, not a startup. And so there are many paths to entrepreneurship. And I, I think you know maybe from my position at ESA, it's it would even be how we define entrepreneurship at ESA. So I would say that entrepreneurship is less of a noun and more of a verb. And so it's, it's an action, a behavior, a way of thinking. And, you know, as such, it's not something that you're born as. I don't, just like I don't think you're necessarily born as a leader, but anyone can learn to lead. I don't believe that you're born as an entrepreneur, but anyone can learn to think and act and behave in an entrepreneurial manner. And having this entrepreneurial thinking is a critical skill set or a critical mindset for every business leader, whether they're running a three-person startup or a huge multinational corporation. So at our school, we want every student, regardless of whether they're planning to go into investment banking or consulting, or they want to start a company, or they want to do a search fund, to come in contact with this entrepreneurial mindset. I mean, to us, this is very, very fundamental. And so we cast a wide net, but in terms of career opportunities, I think that the, there are incredible entrepreneurship opportunities within corporate innovation units, uh, corporate venture capital units. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. And I think it's, uh, while certainly there is an attraction to uh, early stage tech startups, that's a pretty narrow description of entrepreneurship. Right, right. I couldn't agree more. Also, the thing about uh, learning entrepreneurship is like uh, taking ownership, right? And when you take ownership of the projects you're dealing with, you advance faster in your career, regardless you are in a company or you started your company, right? Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And I think it's, it's also the description that would say it is how, you know, it's learning to work in uncertainty and with insecure resources, I mean, when you're an entrepreneur, there is a, an element of uncertainty and learning how to deal with this ambiguity is something that serves every business leader very well, not just people that are founding a startup. Right, right. But going back to the U.S., you were working for this uh, private school. Uh -huh. You had a broad experience inside the, the school. Yes. You founded these small companies, which was giving dividends and is still giving dividends, is still alive. Uh-huh having employees, etc. Why did you thought, okay, now I have to go to an MBA school? I'm thinking about connecting the thing that uh, many people say, you don't need an MBA to start a company, right? 
No, I think that's that's exactly correct. You don't need an MBA to start a company. You don't have to get an MBA to start a company. And I would say, you know, I don't I don't work for the admissions department. And so, you know, maybe they would say, oh, everybody should get an MBA. I don't I don't think that that's true. And I, I also know that our MBA admissions department wouldn't say that everybody in the world should get an MBA. Entrepreneurs, I think the value of an MBA is very unique. I chose to come to ESA for a couple of reasons. I think one thing that you get when you get an MBA is you get an extraordinary network. And this network is unique. It is people who are uh, have a similar intellectual horsepower by going through the same school. They have a similar set of values typically. They are similarly ambitious, et cetera. I mean, it's a long list of network benefits. Uh, I think that it, if you were to draw a map of my network before the MBA, you would find that you know almost everything that everybody that I knew was from the United States, more or less. I mean, of course, you're going to have a few outliers in other countries, but if you if you visualize my network, it would be dominantly in the United States. ESA is one of the most international business schools in the world, and today, you know, I have classmates that are from you know 75 different countries around the world. Uh, that's very special, and with that comes something really unique. So I, I, my education was in business in my undergraduate university degree. And I learned, you know, I've studied business, you know, and participated in, you know, classic business for many years in the United States. And I understand the basics of how an American, how somebody from the United States makes business decisions. But this is very different from how somebody from China or somebody from Japan or India or Brazil or Germany or some other place around the world, how they make decisions. And by being thrust into an international environment where you're learning from each other, you're exposed to new ways of solving problems. And I think for me, this is one of the biggest values and takeaways of the MBA was this exposure to new ways of thinking. And there's no question that that would shape my ability to interact with people. Uh, It would enrich my ability to build the next company uh, if I were to found another one or pursue another entrepreneurial path, the takeaways are incredibly strong. And I also rounded out some skill sets in areas that I hadn't been exposed to or hadn't been exposed to as much. And so if you look at, for instance, my profile, you know, most of my background was in sales and marketing type activities. It's always been extremely customer focused. While I have had stints of working in finance Uh, I would say that my analytical skills were a big reason that I wanted to come to do an MBA was to brush up those analytical and strategic decision making skills. You know, could I have been successful without coming here? I would argue yes, probably. But is my career substantially enhanced by my experience here? Absolutely. Cool, cool. Do you have any anecdote about, for example, what what an American can bring to an European company and Vice versa, what an American company can benefit from an European employee? Andre is putting me on the spot. So I, I think this is, uh, let's see, what could be good examples here? Any, any personal experience, for example, in Europe, I would do this differently in the, if I were in the U.S. Well, I mean, do you have any kind of that kind of moment? Sure. No, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, the, where, where I am, and I have to be very careful here, you know, culturally or whatever, because there are, you know, some of these differences can be sensitive. Uh, you know, I think that Americans, I think that reputationally, we sometimes can be very good 
or are very known for our attitude towards sales. We're very good at sales and marketing. And again, this is stereotyping terribly, but I think that, you know, Americans, people from the United States can be loud and confident and bordering on arrogant uh, as far as how they, the way that they sell something. And I think sometimes that can be a service to European organizations that are uh, humble and let their product do the selling. They sometimes need a mouthpiece to help promote their product and really describe its value and be confident in the value that their product delivers. And on the other hand, you can throw that just the other direction. I mean, there are times where, you know, as an, as somebody from the United States, uh, you know, you need to be quiet and let your, your product do the talking and let your other customers, you know, be able to uh, express the value that it's giving. And you, you need to stop selling it so aggressively. Uh, this would be one example. I think, you know, there were times when I was working for the venture capital firm where the firm was interested in presenting itself as more international and they would, I would go on uh, appointments and was encouraged to, you know, represent myself as being from the United States and don't be shy about my international profile because it, it gave credibility or gave a certain appeal to something. I mean, and that has happened uh, you know, here at ESA, you know, I, I, part of what we are, we're an international business school. We're not just a Spanish business school. And so, you know, I certainly represent the international flavor of the school. And we have so many employees who are from around the world that give us this uniqueness. But I think that this expression of different viewpoints and how you would handle something differently in the United States is just maybe one example. Cool, cool. Okay, so uh, you mentioned already some uh, resources you provide to aspiring entrepreneurs at ESM. What other other events that people interested in uh, startups may benefit? Sure. So you know, we we have a very full slate. That's hard, obviously, in in just a brief moment. I don't have a list in front of me right now. So a few highlights that stand out. You know, we have a, a robust startup and entrepreneurship club that our students are very engaged in. They are constantly hosting events. We work with tech stars to run a startup weekend. We take trips with our students to Berlin and to Silicon Valley. We visit startup ecosystems. We're planning a trip to Tel Aviv in the next year or so. We host you know, conferences and discussions. Right now, there's a conference that's going on today called Doing Good, Doing Well that is you know, all about responsible, ethical business. And, you know, we're constantly putting great, inspiring companies and people in front of our students, hopefully inspiring them to take the next step in their entrepreneurial journey and not just be looking at things from a profit perspective, but from a, a doing good in the world perspective. Uh, we as a school have a venture capital fund called Finaves that's investing from its fifth fund we run the Business Angel Network that is the ESA Business Angel Network that has invested over 40 million euros into startups in the last handful of years. I, I run the Summer Entrepreneurship Experience, which is a uh, type of accelerator program for students who, instead of getting a traditional corporate internship between their first and second year of the MBA, they would elect to work on a startup idea and push an idea forward. How, how this works? How does this work? Sure. So uh, students apply to the summer entrepreneurship experience with a idea. 
we have other accommodations for projects that are later than idea stage. This summer entrepreneurship experience is specifically for idea stage companies. So the students pitch an idea to us and they describe what they believe they would like to accomplish during the summer. Our goal is to help students validate or invalidate their startup idea. So people always ask us, you know, how do you, you know, what companies have been launched out of the summer entrepreneurship experience? And we definitely have some very nice cases that have come from ESA or come from the startup, I mean, the summer entrepreneurship experience. But I would also consider it a success if you applied to the summer entrepreneurship experience with an idea and over the course of the summer came to the realization that with our help, that your idea doesn't have the potential that you thought. And instead of wasting your time and trying to found this company after graduation, you realize it now and are able to have the time left to change course and spend your time wisely. So uh, for us, you know, this validation thing, what we're trying to do is teach uh, the repeatable process of validation to students during the summer. And we guide them through this process uh, with some mentorship from me, uh, typically a couple of other entrepreneurship focused professors, including uh, one gentleman, Luis Cabietas, who's also one of Spain's leading angel investors and a visiting professor here at ESA. So we we work to coach and mentor and advise the students through the summer on how to validate their business idea. It's very important to us. This is not about writing a business plan. What we're actually doing is getting those students to actually, you know, an iterative, lean, customer-focused process where they start trying to sell their idea or their product as early as possible. Last week, one of our startups came back on the second week of the program. So the first week was really just an introduction. And on the second week of the program, they came back uh, and showed us a pile of money that they had actually made selling what was an early prototype of their product. And to us, you know, this was incredibly exciting and, you know, showed that at least there was some potential for their business idea. And then what we try to do is accelerate that interest over the course of the rest of the summer. Very interesting. So I listened to your interview at uh, the Touch MBA podcast. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a phrase that got my attention is that you talked about people that went into corporate after the MBA and uh, started their own company after a couple of years. Yes. So my question is, what do you feel is the best time to start a company? And uh, yeah, if you can talk about this thing, about the problems that uh, a guy in their early 20s may face and the problems that uh, a guy into corporate may sure. face, right? Sure. Yeah, so I, I think what what you're alluding to is, you know, we have cases where students leave the MBA, they graduate and immediately create a company. And we have other students who graduate and then go and work a traditional, let's say more corporate type job for a couple of years. And then we'll create a company in, you know, two or three years after graduation. And, you know, I think what happens during those two or three years, uh, some of them turn out to be some of our best entrepreneurs, not that that's the only way that they can go. And we have tremendous success cases that have come from founding a company right after graduation as well. But the idea of, you know, creating a company two or three years after graduation, uh, my message is you don't have to do this right away. And the benefit of waiting is I think that the quality of ideas overall that students develop while they're business school students, if they have very little entrepreneurial experience or limited professional experience, you know, uh, just a standard MBA, uh, pre-MBA experience, the quality of the ideas, the, the problems that they're trying to solve 
can be, let's say, kind of first-degree problems. They're not always particularly complex or very serious problems. And what happens is if you go and you work in another company for two or three years and you advance up the ranks, you discover industry-specific problems that are substantial big problems for the industry that they're serving. And creating companies that solve these problems, when you when you finish first, you probably have paid off your MBA debt. Uh, you have the financial freedom and flexibility to pursue your entrepreneurial dream. Second, uh, you have learned to hate aspects of the corporate life, and you know this makes you very passionate about you know being your own boss and really committed to this path. Uh, three, I think you've built a much stronger network, and so the people that you know when you graduate from the MBA are a lot of people who are just like you. I mean, although people come from around the world to great MBA programs, not just DSA, but other schools as well, uh, you all are more or less the same age. You all are more or less from the same socioeconomic, you know, brackets and you, you know, all are similarly ambitious, have the same basic profile, uh, you know, with, with huge variances in terms of the industries and what, and whatnot. But, when you, after two or three years in, a, in an industry job, the network that you develop, those are the people who will be angel investors in the company because you're solving a problem that they understand and are willing to commit money to, you know, commit resources to solving that problem. These people in your network will be the first people that will buy your product. They will be people that you can recruit to help grow your company. And so I think this network richness is great. I think on the other hand, there are plenty of cases where students have graduated and started a company right after graduation. And whether you do it two or three years after the MBA or immediately after graduation, one of the best things about the MBA is its its resourcefulness for finding great co-founders. And so, you know, it's a it's an absolutely fantastic place to find a co-founder, whether that's two or three years, you know, into the future or right after graduation. Right. Yeah. Wow. Lots lots of insights, Eddie. Okay, so do you see a trend in uh, ESA uh, graduates? I mean, startups graduate, like they tend to go solo. They found startups, they own family companies. I, I would say, honestly, I don't, I don't have, you know, hard and fast statistics. I know that, you know, the Career Development Center here at ESA does an incredible job of helping students secure jobs after graduation. Some of those students are joining, you know, great startups. They're developing their own startup ideas. We, of course, do have some who are coming from family businesses and will return to family businesses. But in, as far as a, as a statistical breakdown and a trend line, what I would say is anecdotally, a lot of students are very aware of you know, topics around artificial intelligence, around space and uh, the frontier of outer space. There are students who are very interested in big data and its applications. And, you know, they also want to go to a company where they feel like they can make a difference from day one and they're not just part of some huge corporate machine. And so, you know, whether it's a their own startup, whether it's an early stage company or whether it's a large company that understands the value of innovation and giving people, you know, responsibility early on, those are the jobs that I think are on trend right now that that people are excited about getting. Uh, and I think that there is uh, no shortage of talent. You know, that's where the best talent is going is to those innovative you know, high critical thinking skill sort of jobs. Interesting. Okay, back to you. What are your plans for your future? Do you see yourself still in Barcelona in the in a couple of years? 
You know, I, I honestly, I have no idea. You know, I came to ESA because I felt like it was the best place for me to study, you know, and get my MBA. I, it was incredibly opportunistic. You know, it was a school that was incredibly well-ranked. Uh, it has a great reputation. So I came, you know, on the merits of, you know, the reputation of the school, the recommendations of alumni, et cetera. Uh, it wasn't the obvious choice. I mean, you know, the United States has incredible business schools, but I wanted to do something different. I wanted to stretch uh, myself and my family in a unique way. And I definitely have gotten, you know, maximum impact and benefit from that, I believe. And the opportunity to stay at ESA was also somewhat unique in, in terms of, you know, I was really pretty passionate about venture capital and early stage investing. And when ESA made this, you know, offer to me to stay in this job, it was it was somewhat unexpected, and it very much matched the values that I saw in venture capital. What I love about, I mean, yes, you can make a tremendous amount of money in venture capital uh, and become very wealthy. Although, you know, the majority of people that isn't their path. What I love about venture capital is about this identification and maximization of potential. And what I get to do at ESA today is identify great potential and then help to maximize it. Uh, and so in some ways, I still have the job of a venture capitalist. I do it in a different way. I do it by not just giving capital, but by aligning a lot of different resources to this uh, exceptional entrepreneur. And so, you know, for me, my entire career has been based on this opportunism. And I think it will continue to be based on that. I'm very happy here. I have no imminent plans to leave. I'm not, you know, not actively you know, I'm entrepreneurial, so I'm always, you know, aware of startup ideas. I have a list of things I'm always thinking about and working on. At the same time, you know, I, I can't predict what the future would hold. Right. Cool. Uh, okay. So, uh, Eddie, I appreciate the time you took to talk with me. If you have any parting thoughts, you can drop them now. If sure. not, yeah, I, I really enjoyed uh, talking with you. Yeah, I would just I would just add, I mean, if if there are, you know, aspiring, you know, MBA applicants that, you know, have a question, have them feel free to reach out to me, uh, you know, whether you're a, an alumnus of ESA or not, if you, you know, stumble across this and I can be a value to you, don't hesitate to reach out. I'm I'm always interested in in helping how I can and uh, you know, I love I love pitching in uh, and rolling up my sleeves, getting my hands dirty and, and doing whatever I can to help other people be successful. What's the best way to contact you? So the best way for people to get in contact with me, if they're an MBA applicant, what they should do is they should get in touch with the admissions team. Uh, you know, others can reach out to me via LinkedIn. Uh, they can, you know, I'm on Twitter. There's lots of different, I'm, I'm a visible, you know, accessible person. So they, most people can find me if they, if they want to get in touch with me. Great, great, Eddie. Okay. Thank you very much. Andres, this is always a pleasure. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. Talking with you, it was very interesting. You gave a lot of uh, insights about entrepreneurship. Thank you very much, Eddie. Enjoy the rest of your day. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining for this episode of the MBA Talk podcast, a podcast brought to you by Opnis Institute. You can find all notes for this episode, as well as subscribe for future episodes at opnis.com slash MBA talk. That's o p t n e s dot com slash MBA talk. And if you are enjoying the show or have any comments, topics, or guest suggestions, I love if you shoot me an email. My name is Andres, and you can write me to MBA talk at opnes dot com. 
with that thank you and we'll see you in the next episode